We've seen all the video call fails by now. The mute button mishaps, the cat cameos, people not realizing the camera's on when their pants are off. But none of this makes Fred feel any better about giving an entire sales pitch, mistakenly using a filter that turns him into an itsy-bitsy baby duck. How do I turn this thing off? It's too late, Fred. It's too late. When you realize it's better to do business in person, it matters where you stay. Welcome to the Hilton Garden Inn, Fred. The meeting room is right down the hall. Hilton, for the stay. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Oh, Jack. Jack O'Hara. Boy, you asked me some interesting questions, my man. It's a great question, Jack. Jack, hey, it's Josh Radner. Hey there, Jack O'Hara. It's Johnny Damon. Jack, you had questions for me. Jack O'Hara? Absolutely. This message is for Jack O'Hara. Jack, how are you? Hey, Jack. Jack, hey, what's going on, man? How you doing? What's going on, Jack? Uh, listen, man, you know, you, you, you asked me a couple questions. Broadcasting around the world, you're listening to The O Show. In the show and uh, doing your thing, I mean, you've got some pretty big name guests. I've seen your, your stuff, so congratulations on your success. Jack O'Hara. Much nicer guy than Conan O'Brien with much better interviewing skills. Don't forget to share this episode on your social media. Now, let's get to it. I'm so boned. I forgot to get my girl tickets for the show tomorrow, and now it's sold out. It's her freaking birthday. Oh, dude. She's totally gonna break up with you. She's definitely gonna break up with me. Should've used TickPick. Wait, what'd you say? TickPick. Look. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. What? There are no hidden fees. What'd you guys think I said? Oh, TickPick. I thought you said TickPick. No hidden fees. Download today. How many songs are you guys going to have on that album? There are uh, 10 songs total and obviously two of them, the, the lead singles you've already heard. So Mr. Danger and, uh, and Sucker Punch. Right. And a big song I liked when you guys first came out with it was She's Reckless. What happened to it? Did you guys take it off like all of your uh, Basically what happened was uh, we replaced our lead singer. So we pulled everything down that we did have. Uh, we took kind of our favorites and, and uh, redid them with our new lead singer, Alvi. And uh, so we had originally five songs out like way back when. And uh, four of those are, are ended up on the album. So was it a bitter ending? Is that why? Uh... No, no, it was amicable. He was just ready to move on and, and wasn't really into what we were doing and, and vice versa. So we decided to move on. And then we found Allie, which was uh, which was perfect because it fit, you know, like a glove. And we immediately got to work and moved on. So it was how awesome. quick was that turnaround for you guys? That was pretty how quick. Was we ended up parting ways with him in June. And, and Allie was in, uh, I think we started rehearsing him, you know, July. And then we had him in August. So yeah. and this is all last summer. So this all happened real quick. 
I mean, I guess you had a lot of time since uh, everybody was kind of locked in their homes for six months or so. So you had a lot of time to get everything together, get a lot of new material out, you know, like start again, like trying to click and everything. Uh, So how does this, you know, culminate for you guys? Because like he leaves, was it just more about, you know, like the sound or was it the way you guys were going? Like why the creative differences there? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, it was a little bit of, it was a little bit of everything, but I think, you know, and I, I can't really speak for him. Yeah. I think, you know, it came down to, he just, he just didn't really want to be a part of what we were doing. And, you know, we needed someone that, that did want to be a part of it. And there was no, no bad feelings there, no bad blood or anything. We, we definitely parted as friends. And I think he was actually happier when he received the call from me that, you know, we'd yeah. be moving without him. It, I could tell it was like a sigh of relief and that, uh, I feel like maybe it had been something he wanted to do for a while, but didn't, you know, didn't want to ruffle any feathers or cause any problems or anything like that. So, but yeah, you know, it all happened for the best and, and everybody's happier now. And, and that's, uh, that's kind of, kind of good. I think uh, we definitely went through some small growing pains, like, you know, the day after we announced it, of course, we get all these comments going like, you know, Oh, you guys will never be the same. Uh, you know, you suck now. Good luck. Like you just shot yourselves in the foot, like just all these comments and, yeah, it definitely feeling a little bit vindicated now as we as we come out bigger and stronger than than we ever were before. So I definitely feel like you guys have like the same influences when it comes to music, whether it was GNR, Cornell, Soundgarden, Zeppelin, like all of those, you know, uh, bands that kind of like set the tone early on in like the late 70s, or 80s, even 90s with the, the grunge scene for you guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, is anybody else kind of just like uh differently attached when it comes to music influences for you guys to again like come together and create your own sound yeah so our sound definitely is inspired by you know all of our favorites you know a lot of the ones you just mentioned and um that shines through pretty clearly i think in our music which we're happy about and you know we we wear like a badge of honor it's it's what we like to do we 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 play what we want to hear so we write the music you know we want a band to make and then uh, and we end up you know being super happy with what we've created but as far as our individual music tastes, uh, very eclectic. We all listen to a lot of stuff and honestly, not not as much rock as you would think. We've been, uh, over the last few weeks, building a, uh, a podcast studio for our upcoming podcast. And we're always cranking tunes in there. And I can't think of one rock song we've played while we've been working on that. It's all been pop, hip hop, jazz, blues, funk, soul, all this other stuff that, uh, you know, and those elements seep into our individual styles and our individual playing. And then of course, end up coming through in our music, uh, subtle ways. You wouldn't really necessarily pick up on them unless you were really dissecting what was going on. Cause your first instinct is going to be rock, which is good. That's what we want you to do. But there's, if you dig a little deeper, you'll hear some prints, you know, funk riffs, little things like that. Um, jazzier chords, more interesting things going on that, that might not uh, meet the eye at first or meet the ear, I suppose. Right. Are any of these new songs on the new record uh, kind of, you know, vindicate that statement in the sense of like, all right, we're kind of experimenting with other stuff as opposed to just rock songs? Not obviously. I I wouldn't say it does that, obviously. I think you'll listen to this record top to bottom. It's a rock solid rock record. And I think everyone's going to agree with that. And uh, uh, I'll send it to you after we get off the call and you can let me know what you think. Because we've been... We've been sending it out to, uh, you know, reviewers and stuff, and, and we've been getting those kind of comments back. But, yeah, we, what we try to do, like Mr. Danger, for example, is very ACDC influenced. And we oh, yeah. put that out first to tie in with Alvy's history and story of, of almost being in ACDC. 
So that was a calculated move there for the first single. The second singer, uh, the second single, Sucker Punch, we kind of went a different route. I think most people would agree that does not really sound like ACDC. <laughs> and uh, and then, you know, the rest of the album kind of has different pockets like that as well. It doesn't all sound like ACDC. It doesn't all sound like this. It doesn't all sound like that. There's slower songs uh, or eight, a couple really that, um, you know, let Albie shine in a different light where he's not always, you know, screaming like Brian Johnson. And, um, you know, then there's heavier songs. There's fun songs with like, you know, backing vocals and like gang vocals and harmonies and stuff. There's just a lot of fun stuff going on on this record. And, uh, and we just can't wait to get it out there. He was almost an ACDC. Yeah. So in 2016, uh, when Brian Johnson had to bow out of the tour um, for, for hearing loss, they, you know, right, called, right. called a few people, uh, four people to be exact <laughs> audition for the for the band and Albie was one of those four obviously Axel Rose was one of those four as well and uh, ended up getting the gig so enough competition mm-hmm. yeah so they flew him down to Atlanta and he did the whole did the whole audition you know played with the guys and all that stuff so it's pretty cool story yeah so I feel like you can't turn down Axel Rose that's just that's t- that's tough competition man yeah and I mean he comes with you know rock star status as well big yeah. big clap. it's a big it's a good business move you know Oh, 1000%. It was a pleasant surprise, too. I went to one of those shows at MSG that summer in 2016, because that was literally the same year that, you know, Slash and Axel hooked up again and yep. uh, Guns N' Roses and their yeah. true form finally came back together after mm-hmm. like 10 to 15 years of Axel playing, you know, with with, you know, Richard Fortas and, and those guys. Good sound. It was just like not the same, though. Mm-hmm. Like you, you couldn't go to one of those shows and have it be like, OK, this is it's nice to hear, but it's not. Guns and Roses, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so when you, you know, you're growing up and you're finding your your taste in music, you're kind of finding your identity in, in, in what you want to do. Why rock music? Why were those the influences right off the bat for you? For me, it was it was, it was literally one song, and that was Welcome to the Jungle by Guns and Roses. I heard, you know, a, a family friend, you know, older sister kind of figure played it for me she's like you got to hear this and i just i thought the intro was cool it was like whatever and then the riff dropped and i knew immediately that's what i wanted to do so oh, i i picked up guitar as fast as i could and and uh just you know ran with it i was probably picked up guitar at 12 so um yeah just just never looked back always practiced got got as good as i could as fast as i could and uh from there you know after i kind of wore out all the, the 80s rock and the hair metal and stuff i, I kind of went into more of the technical stuff you know paul gilbert Dream Theater, Guthrie Govan, those kind of people. And uh, and I try to bring some of that into my playing as well. Uh, so it's a lot of, you know, sloppy blues rock mixed with, you know, technical shred. And I, I try to live kind of somewhere in the middle of those two things. <clears throat> Obviously, it's great to have different influences. So you're able to like look back at everything and culminate together and make your own sound based on your own experiences, both whether it's music or life experiences. Because again, I feel like a lot of songs that you, you'd write uh, come from those real life experiences, if not just like great jams at the end of the day, or any of these songs on the record, like coming from personal experiences for either one of you six, because again, like new record, you want it to sound as authentic as possible. Are there any, you know, real life experiences culminating in these songs? 100%. I, I wouldn't say necessarily, you know, a specific life experience, but right. I definitely would say the culmination of all the life experiences shine through in a, in a lot of these songs, particularly a song like Fake or uh, or Sucker Punch, which is kind of dealing with coming up, being trying to be a musician and, and, and you know, fighting against all the naysayers and that kind of thing. 
Um, so definitely, yeah, a lot of, of that on there. And I think a lot of our authenticity comes from this is just truly the music we want to write and want to hear. And I think that shines through more than anything. So we write a song that, that we really like the sound of, you know, we're not, we're not trying to be like, okay, this is going to be hot. Let's write this. You know, it's none of that. It's like, whatever we want to write, we write and we put it out there and hopefully people start to attach to it. And it seems like they are so far, which is good. Uh, and the album hasn't even come out yet. So I think it'll only go up from here. So we'll just keep doing our thing. You guys have never been, you know, signed to like a record label or anything like that, where they end up, you know, telling you what to do and everything. Because again, I've hear as an outsider from an outsider's perspective, the business side of music, you hear a lot of horror stories in that sense of like almost losing your passion because you are working with people that want it to sound a different way. And once they own you, they can do whatever the heck they want. So like you guys yeah. are doing your own thing though, right? Right now we're a hundred percent independent and we yeah, do work yeah. with the team. We have a team of, of, um, of really amazing people that are helping us, but yeah, no, no label, no contracts, nothing like that. And, uh, and that's deliberate. That's not, you know, us saying like, uh, nobody's knocking. We'll sign the first thing that shows up. Uh, we've talked about what kind of deals we'll accept and what kind we won't. And there's probably about 90% of deals we, we won't accept because nowadays in 2020 and 2021 and, and Ford, uh, there's a lot of power with an independent musician. Look at someone like uh, chance, the rapper who won, a Grammy or maybe even multiple Grammys without a label. Oh, yeah. So you can go all the way to the top without a label. I don't, I don't think it gets any higher really than, you know, Grammy and chart topping hits. And if you can do that without a label, then why do I need a label? So um, definitely labels provide a lot of value to artists, uh, but we're going to, we're going to stay independent as long as we possibly can uh, and grow as big as we can by ourselves. At some point, if it gets to be too much, if we can't handle it, then, then, you know, we might seek out, uh, you know, the right representation or the right deal. But yeah, it's not something we're currently looking for. It's not a goal of ours. Uh, if it happens, it happens. And hopefully it'll be the right deal for us. But yeah, it's again, it's not something we're looking for. Yeah, I mean, it's good for you guys to realize that young, you know, because like that's probably an enticing move for a young artist who doesn't necessarily know the business side and they become approached by someone and be like, oh, I, I could make you 10 times bigger than you are right now. And yeah. The label thing nowadays is more like a badge of honor. Like, oh, he signed. Oh my God, he made it. It's like, dude, I don't, I don't think that's making it, man. Like, <laughs> you basically just signed away all your money. <laughs> that's right. You signed away your music in a sense because now they can almost dictate what you play, or at least suggest think, yeah. what you play. Moving forward. depending on the deal, they could own your next five records, your next ten records. They, they have you know, creative control, and again, depends on the deal. Sometimes they don't have creative control. Um, they own, they, there's 360 deals now where every piece of merch you sell, sell, they get a cut of, uh, every piece of every dollar you make, they get a you know penny or whatever of. So, uh, those are the kind of deals we want to avoid. <laughs> oh my God. I know. And at the end of the day, I feel like in a, in a way, mentally, you just being happy playing your own stuff, you know, breaking through, uh, from like a mental and spiritual standpoint, creating this music that, you know, makes you guys happy that you're doing it at the end of the day and it's making other people happy listening to it. Like that should be your success. That, that should be what's driving you at the end of the day. Do you feel like, um, you know, that's part of it for you guys? Like what's the ultimate goal? What's the ultimate um, thrill ride for you guys when it comes to finding that inner success from a mental standpoint? I think, I think you nailed it. It's getting our art out there that represents us as best as possible. And 
getting it in the hands of people that connect with it, that respond to it. And, you know, seeing them sing along at shows, those kind of things like that's going to be all the reward we need. And uh, consider the fact we're a very, very young band. We've been around doing stuff for a while. We've all been playing in bands for a long time. We're, we're seasoned vets individually, but as a group, uh, you know, we got Alvi, our lead singer in August, 2020. So we're six, seven months into this thing. And um, the album's coming out. We've been in the studio the whole time, also during a pandemic. So we have not played a show together ever. So um, we've been rehearsing and tightening everything up. And I think we're going to have a killer show that, that we can't wait to uh, to unveil. We do have one on the books, March 19th in uh, Greensboro, North Carolina. But uh, it was kind of, you know, local warm-up show, basically. Right. So we have one on the books that's going to kind of be a test for us to, to get our feet wet and see how everything goes. But um, I think it's going to be really, really awesome. Really excited about what we have. Yeah. I mean, that's a big test right before the record comes out, too, because as you know, obviously, and again, speaking from an outsider's perspective, I come from a music family. My brother is a musician, just moved to Nashville. Mm -hmm. uh, but live shows are obviously different than what you guys record in the studio. So it's going to be a very big test for you guys before the record comes out. Yeah. And we've we've put a lot of time into making sure our live show is not just us playing the songs. Yeah. You want to hear the songs as they're recorded buy the album it's gonna it's never gonna fail you but live we're adding stuff we're moving stuff we're extending stuff adding solos here adding fun little uh you know individual moments here and there for everybody uh and, and we're letting everybody's kind of ability shine you know we have uh where we're a rock band we'll break it down to a classical piano thing where josh really gets to shine we'll do you know, uh, we have this really amazing little Star Wars segment because I'm a huge Star Wars fan, and and we we have that in there. We have you know funk bass and bass and drums breakdowns. We have uh, Driz, our other guitar player, and I worked out this massive, massively complex uh, you know 32 bar dual harmonized guitar solo that's happening at the end of Peace of Mind. Something something in between you know Almond Brothers and and Iron Maiden, mm -hmm. and um, those kind of things are what's going to get people coming back. I think to see the show because you don't you're not going to get that on the record. Oh, you're yeah. just but live, uh, we're putting a ton of time into making sure we deliver an experience that's the record plus, you know, the next thousand percent of, of fun and enjoyment and crowd involvement and all that stuff. I mean, you're not only musicians at that point during live shows, but you're entertainers. Like, you can't just sit up there and, you know, like play to each other. Because, like, you, you've seen bands do that in the past, live at festivals and stuff. And it's just like, how can you get into that when, like, they're obviously, like, not paying attention to the crowd, to their fan base? So like for you guys to plan all of that stuff out is great. How big is the venue going to be with everything going on? Is it going to be like 50% capacity? Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not sure what their final capacity number is, um, but I'm, I'm sure they have all that handled. And uh, things are starting to actually open back up a little more. So we might even see them open up a little more before we get there, which would be cool. Uh, it's tough to play, you know, to a sold out crowd that's, you know, and it looks like an empty room because <laughs> we've know. been in a little while. So, uh, yeah, but we're super stoked about the show and, and all shows. So, um, you know, look out for us in 2021. We're going to be playing as much as we can, but uh, we'll see. We'll see how it all, you know, shakes out. You guys should book some shows in Texas now since they're going back uh, one hundo percent, it sounds like. Nice. Yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah, the only problem is, you know, getting out there and we have no fans yet, really. Just, <laughs> you know, we have like little pockets here and there, but not enough to, to you know, pack out a performance or something so oh yeah we gotta start with our region and work out 
So how did you start out when it came to, again, because you guys are playing music, you guys know you sound good, you're creating some stuff, some singles early on, and then you realize, okay, now we have to market ourselves, promote ourselves. What did you guys do early on when it came to just like telling your friends about it, which they tell their friends and then so on and so forth, you know, creating that popularity, at least in your region? Yeah, I think you're right. I think it starts with a solid product. I think you have to start there. Um, because we, we believed our music was good enough that most people would like it. If you like rock, you'll like us. That's what we thought. That's what we would assume. And, um, then the question became, okay, well, if we think everyone that likes rock for the most part is going to like us, then we just have to show it to them. And then once they hear it there, we trust that they're going to catch on and be like, okay, I'm in, this is good. So then that was the question. So, uh, yeah, it was a lot of what you're saying, a lot of grassroots movement and stuff like that. But then we also hired our, our publicist and, um, and he's been amazing for us as well. And he's gotten us a lot of, uh, a lot of good press, which results in eyes and, and stuff like that. So doing a lot of interviews and, and like this and, uh, you know, he's just been amazing. So that's one aspect of our team that, that we just simply couldn't operate without. Um, and then, you know, there's other, other team components as well, but that's kind of the big one I would say for right now where we are. And when it came to hiring a publicist, because like that's a big job, again, promoting and marketing you guys, because that's at the end of the day, going to get your stuff out there. Like the foundation is having the passion to play and finding your sound, like you were saying. But then at the same time, you have to find someone who you can trust to get it out there. Was it an easy process finding a publicist or was it more along the lines you had to really make sure that they believed in what you guys believed in? No, it was very easy. We, uh, he, he, Tom George tag publicity. He was recommended to us by a local, another local band in our area, a friend of mine. Yeah. Uh, he recommended three or four publicists and said, but I'd, I'd call this guy first. So I called Tom, uh, sent him some demos and he called back immediately and he was on fire about it. He was so, he was probably more excited than we were. He was just like, this is the best thing I've ever heard. I can't wait. Like, let's do this. What do you need? Like all that stuff. And that's all I needed to know was that he was excited to push it. You know, I didn't just want someone with, with the thickest Rolodex, right. uh, someone who was going to believe in it and push it and help us pass, you know, go beyond the job description basically. So, um, and, and yeah, Tom has done that every step of the way. He's, he's one of the best in the business and he specializes in this, this new wave of classic rock movement and a lot of our peers, uh, he also represents as well. So um, it was just, it was just a natural fit and made, you know, it was a no brainer. I mean, that's perfect. That's, that's literally what you want in a publicist, someone who believes in what you guys are doing and is almost as passionate in, in what you guys are doing. And you talk about, you know, some of, you know, your peers in those current, you know, bands, whether it's like Dirty Honey, obviously Greta Van Fleet's taken off. When you look at bands, you know, like that in this era where rock is, again, not really the number one genre anymore, which personally as a rock fan, very disappointing because, you know, like you, you, you listen to the, the hip hop side and the rap side, which is probably number one today. And uh, some of those people, you know, listening to that music don't exactly like appreciate rock, but at the same time really have no rock knowledge at the same time, which is kind of hard for people to get into the genre today. Do you, um, you know, look at bands like Greta Van Fleet, Dirty Honey, uh, those alike, you know, highly suspect as well. You could throw in Royal Blood, some of those bands that are like very influential and you look at them and be like, okay, like if they can make it, we can make it in this new era of music where rock again is not number one anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Greta Van Fleet was the one that when they broke, I knew that this kind of music was going to come back 
Yeah. Which was good because I was still in the process of writing a lot of these songs and none of us knew if anyone was going to care about what we were doing. Right. So when they dropped and they came out, I, I thought like, okay, so there is, there is still, you know, people want this kind of classic rock music and, you know, rock as a genre is really, really young. If we think about all of the great rock metal musicians that paved the way for all of us, Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, you know, uh, Beatles, whoever, Rolling Stones. A lot of those people are still alive. In fact, oh, yeah. most are still alive. And the ones that died didn't die of old age necessarily. So yeah. rock is still super young. It's one generation old. Consider something like classical music, which is hundreds of years old and has got, and we've seen the evolution of classical music across hundreds of years and how that's changed. Um, rock's so young that we don't even know what it's like to not have the founders here with us. And in the next 30 years, they're all going to be gone. Every single one of them. So what happens then? Do we just keep playing the old same stuff that we've always played? Or do we, do we turn our head to the future and look ahead to bands like us, bands like, you know, Joyce Wolf and all the others and, and, you know, pick them up and raise them up and, and usher in the new wave of rock, which, which has to happen at some point. So I think the best thing that can happen is a lot of these rock bands as they're on their way out, whether because they're retiring or health or whatever, to turn around and give us a hand, uh, not even us specifically, just all the artists. Uh, and, and, and we need to kind of transition into the new, the new era at some point. And that's going to be happening slowly, probably painfully over the next, uh, you know, decade two, three decades. So, uh, you know, in our lifetime, Jack, we're going to not see a world with Slash or Axl Rose or any of the ACDC guys or any of the Rolling Stones, all of Aerosmith, all of every band. <laughs> so no. that's going to be really weird. And uh, hopefully that's when we're like 75, 80 years old. Like you said, like 30 years, most likely they're all going to be wiped out. Yeah. Cause just, just cause life, you know, yeah. it's not only, and, and honestly, it's amazing. We still have a lot of them because of the, the abuse that was, that was put on, you know, some of their bodies through, uh, you know, drugs and alcohol or whatever, but also just through touring for years and years and years and, and being road warriors and, and doing that stuff. So um, it'll be really interesting to see kind of how things, you know, uh, shake out. Yeah. I've never actually really looked at it from that perspective. I mean, you're right. It is one generation You know, Jimmy Page, Robert Plant, Ozzy Osbourne. Jimmy Page uh, is still like alive and healthy. Yeah. <laughs> still writing stuff, still putting stuff together, you know, like Bruce Springsteen still there. Uh, it literally took me a couple years ago to really figure out how old Bruce Springsteen was. I thought the guy was in his mid fifties. Cause again, he dyes his hair, keeps himself in great shape. When yeah. you look at Ozzy, who's the same age and you know, he was a big rocker, big partier. So he obviously has a little wear and tear on his body. So um, <laughs> it's kind of weird to see that both of those guys go. And like, like you said, um, when it came, when it comes to those guys being on their way out, trying to help the younger generation, trying to, again, like, give back. I, I think Dave Grohl is the perfect example of that. I mean, he's, he's the guy who has been the glue in rock and roll, like keeping all of these bands together, like bringing back some of those eighties guys, whether it's, you know, Rick Springfield who, you know, yeah. went off the grid for a while before that whole sound city documentary, Dave Grohl brings him back. I, I think um, that that's probably going to be your biggest guy in supporting and bringing in these new waves of rock bands, even though it seems like they're experimenting too with uh, other stuff. But I feel like, um, you know, like you specifically saying that, like what, what would you like to see from those guys when it comes to, like you said, kind of keeping it going once they're long gone? Yeah. Well, I want to be careful because I, I definitely don't want to come off as entitled like these guys. Yeah. Help us. They owe us something. 
because they certainly do not. I think it would be nice for the whole genre for the older bands to uh, help the younger bands. And I think they're doing that. This is not, obviously not me complaining or any, or, you know, right. being like, oh, help make me famous. Like, that's not what I'm saying at all. Um, it, you know, we're just a part of a movement of bands like us. So I, I guess I speak for all of us, I suppose, oh, yeah. <laughs> without, without asking. So we'll see. If, <laughs> but um, yeah, I think, I think we see, you know, Guns N' Roses had Dirty Honey open for them a couple of times. Slash took Dirty Honey on the road. Uh, I keep using Dirty Honey on, you know, Greta Van Fleet's doing big things on their own. They don't even oh, necessarily yeah. open for people, but they've been doing big festivals and stuff as well. Uh, lots of people have been, I think the opening slot, I think that's kind of what you, what comes to my mind as being the best way to spread this word. Cause you have, you know, again, people are going to like the music of Dirty Honey. They're going to like the music of, you know, the LA maybe and, and whoever else. So getting it out there in front of as many people, you know, getting on an opening slot of an ACDC tour, you know, what could potentially be their, their final tour or, or you know, guns or whatever. And getting that music out in front of people. I think once you get it out there, people are going to realize, oh, this is great stuff. Let's, you know, add them right here on our phone right now while we're listening. And uh, yeah, I think that's a big part of what has to happen. But also, you know, it's social media these days. You could just, it's a simple tweet. It's a simple Instagram post. Hey, check these guys out, you know, from, from Axl Rose, who has, you know, God knows how many millions of followers, like just little things like that. Uh, because everybody, it's, it's an information overload, right? There's a, there's a band out there that I'm sure is your favorite band, I'm sure is my favorite band that we don't know about, that wants us to know about them. But there's a disconnect there because there's so much information, we can't really dig through it and find them efficiently. So at, both sides trying to find each other, but they can't because there's just so much noise. So, you know, how do we cut through that? It, it would be with the assist of bigger platforms. Uh, so right. we, we were in, we were fortunate enough to be in Loudwire and in Guitar World and in a couple other big publications. And uh, that helped us, that helped boost us a ton. So those kind of things, you know, everybody helping everybody. That's kind of what we're about. It's almost like a new struggle in the sense, because again, we do have social media. We do have the new technology to get, you know, you know, people like you, like the LA maybe out there via social media. All it takes is one click, one tweet, one Instagram post. But at the same time, there's millions of others doing it. Or back in the day, it's like you literally had to know the right people or else you weren't getting your big break, you know, for, for guys, whether it was, you know, the, the Guns N' Roses with Axel, you know, hiking from Indiana or wherever he was to L.A. to get his start finding those guys, the grunge era, the Seattle scene, because nobody really expected that to take off. That was very organic in its own right. So it's almost a different kind of struggle for this generation. Like everybody's going to get their there's stuff out there. It's just like you said, like that disconnect with a fan base that may not see it because there's so many other things that they could listen to. There's so many other things that are going to be blocking their feeds uh, yeah. before they find you. Yeah. Well, in, in, you know, in eighties, seventies, sixties, you had a lot less bands too. So you might have one Led Zeppelin where nowadays you have Led Zeppelin, a Led Zeppelin, B Led Zeppelin, C Led Zeppelin, D Led Zeppelin, E, and they all offer something slightly different. So I might, gravitate towards Led Zeppelin A, but you might gravitate towards Led, Ze Led Zeppelin F, you know, like all these bands kind of have a strong influence of Led Zeppelin, but kind of bring their own thing to it as well. And so as there's more people, as there's less of a barrier to entry, you know, that we don't have to go into multi-million dollar studios anymore with a huge budget to cut an album. I can do it from my computer for free with a couple, you know, free plugins. Uh, and it probably would sound like garbage, but I could do it and put it out there. And then you hear it and say, man, this is garbage. There's no hope for music anymore. And meanwhile, they're good bands doing it as well. 
but they're getting, they're competing with the garbage, you know? So it's like, there's just a lot of noise going on. So you have to try to figure out how to cut through the noise. So when, when you're putting together, you know, th- these records and you're trying to get your, your, your stuff out there and you have people give you feedback saying like, whether it's great, it's suckish, it's awesome. You guys rock. I don't like what you're doing. You know, like you look at Greta Van Fleet and immediately I feel like at least in that first album, everybody's like, Oh, they sound like Zeppelin. You know, I think they were influenced by Sabbath. A lot of people are just hear Robert Plant right off the bat when, when you hear the kid. And then you have bands like Airborne. It's like, okay, ACDC to a T, right? Yeah. So you guys obviously influenced by these bands when you, you put out your music, but at the same time, you're looking to put out your own sound. So what type of reaction are you guys hoping for when you're putting out, you know, whether it's the new record coming out on the 26th or any of your old stuff, what are you looking to hear from your fan base when it comes to like the regard of the, the band's sound? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, you know, comparisons I think are as annoying as they can be. Yeah. They are kind of inevitable. Oh yeah. You don't want to, you know, put your own thing out there and then someone's first reaction is sounds like ACDC. Like, it's like, okay, man, thanks. Like I spent, you know, six months on this. You don't want that necessarily, but also like, I'm not so naive to know that, that I, I'm not going to act confused. Like, what do you mean? It sounds like ACDC. I get it. Uh, but we're also bringing our own thing to it too. So I think, you know, a little bit of more critical listening, you know, listening past just your first instincts, uh, you know, maybe try to listen to it with a fresh ear and stop trying to compare it to everything you've ever heard. But again, that's a natural thing to do. We've all heard stuff and we're all going to compare it to stuff. That's just kind of what we do. But, um, you know, there's all there. I think it's foolish to think that we're not bringing our own stuff to the table as well. Mm-hmm. So there's, you know, obvious influences of, of whoever you want to, uh, you know, discuss. But we're also bringing our own thing to where you can't quite say we sound exactly like A, B, C or D. Um, Maybe one song leans more towards, you know, ACDC, one song leans more towards Guns N' Roses, but there's elements of other things within that song as well. And as you listen through the whole album, I think you're going to realize, okay, these guys have more to offer than kind of like, kind of like a usual illusion. Oh yeah. A lot more going on than just, you know, one thing. So uh, I think that's what we're trying to do. That's the reaction I'd hope for. I'd hope. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's a perfect example because that was a totally different record. Totally different sound a lot of different moving parts at least uh in a few of those songs uh and, and you obviously being a big gnr guy i'm a big gnr guy slash was your original inspiration to play guitar right like you said welcome to the jungle was your first thing uh what what certain elements of his of his craft do you think inspired you at a young age um it was just as the way he phrased everything it was just different than other stuff I'd heard. And it spoke to me in a way that other, that other people didn't even that were similar, you know, like a Jimmy page, love Jimmy page, but his music doesn't, or his you know solos in particular, don't speak to me the way that, you know, someone's like slash slashes do. And slash had that element of, of speed and technicality as well. Yeah. Um, and he, and he didn't come from it at like a robotic kind of uh, maniac way, like a Paul Gilbert would, where Paul Gilbert's just a machine, you know, he can't mess up. It seems Slash comes at it from a more organic way, um, where the stuff he's playing fast is is different and weird and interesting, and it has a lot of you know some of it's off time and some of it's you know missing notes here and there, and and all that kind of adds up to that bluesy, I call it swag that you know a guitar player has. I mean, it's definitely a different sound. Like when you you obviously, I'm sure everybody back in the day when they first heard that, like you're right, it's not Jimmy Page, like that guy, an inspiration in his own right. 
But when you hear Guns N' Roses for the first time, whether it is Slash's riffs or Axel's voice, like totally different. Like they were the bridge, you know, late 80s between those, you know, like you said, you know, hair bands to the, the grunge era with the Kurt Cobains and the Cornells and Alice in Chains, Pearl Jam, where, wherever you want to go with that. But it was just a different sound. Like he was the first, um, I guess, guitarist, you could say, that just like was like in your face rock music like the bridge between like i said metal and grunge in that late 80s stage that really hadn't happened before and i think it's very hard to find you know like you talk about like being inspired by other people to create your own sound but at the same time it's very difficult to find that sound that nobody has ever heard before at least for those people who keep an open mind to it and think like okay this is just like acdc this is just like gnr but it's very hard for someone to be like, whoa, this is something we've never heard before. And these guys are going to be huge. Yeah. And I think if it's something we've never heard before, odds are it's probably not very good because yeah. we've heard everything. <laughs> so, you know, it's at this point, we're kind of just evolving on things that have already been done. All of us, not, you know, going back as, as far as you want to, to, you know, the twenties. So it's not like, you know, ACDC was doing anything entirely fresh, you know, musically, right. Of course, it was a new thing kind of as a group that everyone responded to. Um, and I think we see that with a lot of those other bands as well. But yeah, so in the in the early 80s, you know, you were dealing with the Van Halen effect where everyone was trying to copy him. And then, you know, Motley Crue came around and they kind of started the glam thing. Oh, yeah. A bit. And then so then that that mid period of the 80s, you had a lot of Motley Crue, Van Halen, you know, wannabes kind of doing their thing. And then Guns came along as kind of the antithesis to that. They were like, we're, we're going to go back. We're going to skip all that and go back to like the mid seventies, early seventies and, uh, and take that as our sound and kind of do that in the modern day at the time of 85, 86, 87. And, uh, and that's, I, I think a big part of why they blew up, you know, plus of course, just great songs, great hooks, all that stuff. So, and, and, you know, killer, killer frontman. Oh yeah. I mean, it was just like that in your face type mentality that they had. They were just very different. Like I said, one of those eighties bands, like you can say that they were, you know, put them with the Van Halen's or the Metallica's or whatever, but they were just different. They were like that bridge of new bands that obviously culminated in the grunge era and so on and so forth in the early two thousands. Um, and I feel like, it, 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 it's just a very different breed, that style of music. And obviously it, it inspired millions. I mean, you guys played a GNR gig, like as Guns N' Roses for Halloween, right? Yeah, we did that. That was fun. And then um, Alvi's done a GNR tribute. We've done a GNR tribute. So we know that that world uh, pretty well. We could probably still whip out a couple songs at least. Yeah. <laughs> between all of us you guys started out as a journey band right like a journey tribute band met my uh, our drummer and and me Foz. we um yeah we were in a journey tribute so i played neil sean and he played steve smith and that was super fun too so you know we've done we've done our our fair share of tributes and all that stuff but we left that band to to try to do our own thing to try to do original music and um you know that's kind of that's kind of where we went I feel like that's how most uh, bands start out. They they target their inspirations. They play those gigs, and then eventually that culminates into them, you know, expanding their minds, expanding their knowledge, and you know, you guys creating your own stuff. At the end of the day, how early on did you guys uh, form the band? Like when when you when you knew that okay, we want to start finding our own stuff. You you find different players, which culminates now six of you. How did you? How did that all culminate? So the first time. 
we came up with the name the LA maybe was 2016 and it was uh four of us from the journey band that wanted to do it uh singer bass drums and, yeah. and rock and uh you know we wanted to do the original stuff we started to do some original stuff but then we also wanted to make a little money so we started making a variety band set so we came up with a big long listing you know we learned 50 60 songs uh and it truly was a variety we'd play everything from welcome to the jungle to boston to backstreet boys to bruno mars to i mean just all sorts of stuff and and everything in between stevie wonder prince and uh you know obviously that that desire to make a little bit of, of you know pocket change took us away from the original stuff because we were so focused on learning, you know, 60 songs over the course of whatever and, and putting together that show. And then we did that show for a while. And um, and then at one point during that show, we replaced our bass player. So we have, we got our current bass player now, Rasan. He's been with us uh, since those days. And then we replaced, uh, well, we had a couple other guitar players besides me throughout the, that we always wanted to be a dual guitar band. And um, could never find the right guy until we found Drizzle. And Drizzle just fit in like a glove. And he's actually a, a professional sound man. So he ended up uh, running our sound for us at the variety gig. So we would travel as our, as our full five piece, but only four of us were on stage. And then uh, one day, I, I actually just finished reading Steve Gorman's book, The Drummer for the Black Crows. And I started thinking like, because he was talking about their keyboard player and, their, and all that stuff. And I went back and listened to you know, some of my favorite Crows records. And I was like, well, they have, they have keys. That's awesome. We should have keys. So... Uh, we found Josh pretty quickly. He was the first person we found and, uh, and he fit like a glove with everything. So then we kind of had our, our full band, uh, but with our old singer and we started writing some stuff and then we, we changed lead singers and that's, that was uh, last summer. So that's, that about brings it up to date. So, you know, every band's kind of goes through those lineup changes, you know, people come, people go. And, uh, yeah, we ended up with a full six piece, which I think is, is probably pretty rare these days. I mean, when you talk about, you know, some of these pieces, you know, quote unquote, fitting like a glove and, and stuff like that, like, do you know instinctively, like, this sounds right or this sounds great, but at the same time, it, it, it's not exactly what we want? Because I feel like it's very hard to, again, find those pieces in order to culminate that specific and unique sound that you guys have. Do you look at that and think like, okay, like, we sound great, but this isn't it? Or how many guys did you actually have to go through in order to find those key five pieces? Not that many, actually. It was a lot of friends and references and, and, and referrals and stuff like that. To, so we got to the right people pretty quick. Yeah. The one, the one uh, thing we did have to do was we held a bunch of bass player auditions. So for bass player, we did have, you know, four or five, six guys come in. And um, it's not, it's not, you believe it or not, it's not really about the playing. Everyone we've played with is awesome. Um, it's more about the personality and the, and the drive. And do we laugh at the same jokes? Do we, um, do I feel like you're in this with me as opposed to just being a hired gun? Or are we going to be able to, to, are you going to pick up a rope on the sled we're pulling and we all keep pulling the same direction? Or are you going to be someone that just sits in the back of the sled, you know, that kind of thing. So it's, it's more about that. Like, it's a lot of like, come over, let's hang out for, for a couple hours, maybe bring your guitar. We'll jam or whatever. But it's not, and then you know, after they kind of pass the the one on one test with me in the case of of Drizzle because he was the other guitar player, then we brought it to the full band and that kind of stuff. So um, went through you know a couple couple other guitar players, but not not a lot. But yeah, finding the right guitar player was was tricky tricky to find the right person to work with. But man, we nailed it. Drizzle is the best. Oh, yeah. So we I, I, mesh we mesh perfectly musically, we mesh perfectly personality wise. Uh, there's the perfect amount of give and take and it's, um, it's awesome. So yeah. I mean, you're right. The, 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 
person side of it, again, like the identity factor of having your personalities meshing is way more important than the actual music. Cause you guys could be, become the biggest rock band in America today, but if you don't get along, like it, it's not going to be a fun experience. Eventually you guys are going to burn out. And especially once you guys go on and, and do bigger things and you, you start looking at the business side of things, like is every, is everybody going to be in tune with what you guys are trying to accomplish? Is everybody going to be pulling their own weight? Like you said, like th those are going to be the big factors that determine whether you guys keep on going or, you know, this is as far as you guys come. How yeah. often do you guys have conversations like that? Cause again, like you're, you're right now, I feel like the past 12 months, everybody's had time to again, plan things out, plan their futures ahead with you guys planning gigs, putting out new stuff. How often do you guys have, you know, like real conversations like that when you discuss the future of the band? Uh, every week we meet every Monday night and we have a, a nice band zoom call with, you know, uh, our team and us. And we kind of review what, what happened that week, what's going to happen this week. And right now we're in the middle of a release release cycle. So that's obviously right. super important that every week, you know, talking about, what the goals are that week and all that stuff. So as far as like big long-term picture stuff lately, not that much just because we're in the middle of this release cycle. So everything is, everything is about March 26th right now and, and planning the videos and, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So we actually, um, we decided we're going to have a video for every single song on the album. It's not, they're not all going to be a full like music video. Like some will be lyric videos, but uh, we're going to have a piece of video content for, every single song on the album, which I don't think I've seen so much, uh, especially from a rock band. So we're excited about that to be able to give people something to latch onto visually as well as, as well as the music, obviously. Oh, yeah. I mean, trying to find something that separates you guys too, at least from a content standpoint, like you said, not too many bands are doing that. Um, at least not, you know, you look at Greta Van Fleet and stuff like that, but uh, you know, you guys always culminating like meeting once a week, trying to figure out, you know, stuff from a creative standpoint, how can we make ourselves stand out? What certain things can we use? Certain riffs like this, certain things like that. Uh, how often do you guys come up with stuff that you never use? Like you almost hear like the old, you know, Steven Tyler thing, like dare to suck every week. They had those meetings with Aerosmith. Um, you hear those stories. How often do you guys uh, come up with stuff and the majority of it just doesn't work out? Um. Not as often as you'd think. Most of the stuff on the, we have 10 songs on the album and I think we had 12 to choose from. Okay. So only maybe 13 if you count the one we cut from the original five. So, um, you know, we, we're pretty, a lot of times you'll, you'll hear people have 60 songs and they whittle it down to 10. You know, we only had 12 or 13, but we do have, we're, we are always writing um, little riffs, little lyrics, little hooks, you know, we have a Dropbox full of, uh, we have a folder called ideas and it's full of, you know, stuff that's a minute, 40 seconds, two minutes long, some full songs on there, but, um, a lot of ideas in progress and, and those obviously haven't been used yet, but that's not to say they won't, won't be used in the future. So as far as how often do we come up with stuff that doesn't get used? Um, I think at some point, all the stuff we like will get used. Mm -hmm. we might come up with a full song and say because this happened for some of the songs on the album we'll come up with a full song or i'll go back in the archives from you know 2012 and find an old song and be like okay uh, most of this song sucks but the solo section's cool let's pull that out and put it in this new riff that we just wrote like those kind of things that happens a lot so we'll go back in the archives and say you know okay this is a this is a pretty good riff right here uh just scrap the rest of that song we'll, we'll write something better for that or 
okay, this is good. Maybe that could fit with this other thing we just found, you know, stuff like that and kind of piecing it together like a puzzle. What, what comes together for you guys to say like, okay, 10 songs on this new record. And then, you know, like you said, you had 12 songs to choose from. You only had to cut two, but how, um, how does it come down to that? Like why 10 songs for you guys on the record? We just wanted a full length album and we thought 10 was a reasonable number that we could afford to get mixed and mastered. Yeah. Uh, we did all the recording, all the production ourselves completely DIY. So we saved all that money, but uh, we did want to get it professionally mixed and mastered by our buddy machine. Who's done uh, lamb of God, crowbot clutch for your strong. He's done a lot of amazing bands and we wanted to work with him. We've worked with him in the past and uh, we figured 10 songs was about what we could afford with him. Um, didn't want to do 12 or, or go above and beyond. And we felt like 10 was a good, good amount to say what we needed to say, but not get boring and not have any filler. That's something we're really proud of is this album, in our opinion, obviously we're very biased, doesn't have any filler. And so far the people we've talked to have for the most part agreed. There's not, um, there's something on it for everybody. You know, your, your favorite song probably won't be my favorite song. And, and, and that's true for, for anyone. I think that here's the record. And uh, there's just, there's a lot of good stuff there to, to latch onto. Like if you, if you skew more towards the heavy stuff, there's that. If you skew more towards the softer, sensitive stuff, there's some of that. There's, you know, there's riotous, fun party romps. And then there's the serious, you know, song about addiction. There's all these little things on there that you can pull, you know, you can attach yourself to. And 10 songs was a good amount to do that with. You know, you start getting to 11 and 12, you start getting those couple in there that you're like, ah, I'll skip this one, you know. And, and I'm sure there's people out there that are going to skip, you know, whatever one they don't like. Sure, I don't care about that. But by and large, I think there's something on this album for everyone. What's your favorite song on the record? Uh, my favorite song will probably be track uh, tracks three and or six. So three is called Oh Sugar. And that's just a really, really fun song with a lot of those funk guitar influences that we were talking earlier. A lot of Prince influence in there sneakily. Uh, but also a lot of ACDC influence and then with a big pop chorus and a lot of backing vocals and cool stuff going on there. And then number six is a track called when I'm gone, which is all about, uh, which is all about suicide. So. Okay. Is that inspired by anything, you know, real yeah, that's inspired by uh, my buddy, Daniel Kyer committed suicide in uh, 2015. Ooh. So he's been gone for a while. So that's kind of written in his memory and his honor. And uh, yeah, that's one of the softer, softer songs but it but it crescendos to this uh, what i would consider to be hands down the most powerful moment on the album the outro of when i'm gone the last you know 40 seconds or so we we got a full gospel choir oh, we wow. have you know it's just like it's a it's a powerful moment i think on that record and it stands out to me as as really really being a moment that i think a lot of people are going to latch on to i mean it's and, coming from your heart too you know yeah and the lyrics throughout that one are all you know uh all about you know hope and suicide and all that stuff so you know obviously want to address a little bit of that so it's not all just good oh yeah totally i mean that's that's definitely i'm sorry to hear about that i mean that's probably one of those traumatic experiences we talk about you know the jimmy pages the ozzy osbournes like it's rock and roll at least in for, for the music that we've listened to is one generation most of those guys are still alive and you were alluding to the fact that the ones that aren't alive weren't necessarily of old age you know you look at the grunge era the cobains the cornells chester bennington scott wyland like all of these insanely talented guys lane staley you, you go down the list of, of guys who were just troubled and just couldn't keep it together i, I think cornell was probably the most shocking one because he seemed like he had it more together than almost everybody when you look at any, like any rock star 
kind of like a Robin Williams kind of thing, you know? Yeah. I mean, it, it was just shocking at the end yeah. of the day. Yeah, absolutely. But then, you know, also uh, suicide's a big part and also uh, drugs and alcohol, which I guess you could maybe, maybe consider that suicide, depending, you know, if it was, if it got as bad as someone like Lane Staley or something. Um, disturbing, most disturbing thing I found out about Lane Staley's death was he was, I think, what, 6'3? He's a tall guy. And when they found his body, he was 80 pounds. That's nuts. It was unbelievable. He could blow away in the wind with that. Just think about that. Your goal is 6'3 and you're 80 pounds. If you were like 5'4, that'd be a very different 80 pounds. That'd still be bad, but not, that would not be 6'3 bad. I mean, I don't, that is definitely over six feet, though. Oh my God. I mean, that he's literally a stick figure at that point. They also didn't find his body for like three days because they didn't know. Like, you know, because he would talk to his mom every now and then on the phone. I'm going from memory here. You might want to fact check this. <laughs> but um, hmm. he, you know, wasn't answering for a couple of days. And, and after finally, after a couple of days, somebody went and checked on him and, and he had been gone for a few days. Oh my God. I mean, it, if they hadn't done that, they probably wouldn't have found him for months. Yeah, at least uh, well, he was living in an apartment, so they would have found him at some point from you know the smell, as gross as that sounds. But <laughs> yeah. do you feel like growing up in the Carolinas, things were you know because you look at that Seattle era, it's always raining, every everything was always dark and gloomy, which kind of led to those you know dark behaviors for some of these guys, which culminated in great music. But a lot of it was dark. Most of Nirvana's stuff was very you know, culminated from rage and anger. Do you feel like, you know, growing up uh, in your, your childhood, your, your upbringing was a lot more smoother, which culminated in you having the ability to create your own sound and also appreciate other types of genres of music and be inspired by all these different guys? Yeah, I think so. I think, I think definitely, Um, you know, the past few days here have been incredible. Like like, we had some rain for a while, but like, I mean, you're talking LA weather, sunny, Clear skies, perfect temperature, the kind of temperature where when you walk outside, you don't feel a difference from your, inside your home, like just that perfect temperature, you know, that 70, 68 range. And, and and you can't help but look up and just be like, man, we live in an awesome place. And uh, and that kind of, you know, I'm sure Seattle has those days too, but a lot of Seattle's dark and rainy and, and, and oh yeah, totally. I mean, that, that reflects in the music that's come out of Seattle as well, I think. Uh, I think our music kind of reflects where we're from a bit as well. You're, I've definitely heard people say it has a Southern twinge to it. I don't hear that uh, myself personally. I don't have anything against that. I just don't necessarily hear that myself, but people say that and that's fine. You know, hear, hear what you want to hear. But uh, yeah, I think there's definitely, we definitely want to write, uh, you know, our fair share of happy, fun songs. People need that too. Uh, the Backstreet Boys are a great example of that. They came out in, I think, 99, 98. Right. When a time when everything was serious and dark and music was serious and dark and a lot of darkness was happening in the world. And they came out just singing happy songs about whatever, just teeny bopper songs. And they blew up because the world needed that. And, uh, you know, I can't say that the world needs that right now. Who knows? I don't know what the world needs, but uh, we're going to do our best to, to make people smile and have a good time. Uh, you know, there's also those songs about suicide and addiction and stuff. But if you don't know that going into it, you might pull your own meaning out of that. And it might not necessarily be what, what I meant when I wrote those lyrics. It might be whatever you take away from it. And that's the most powerful thing to me. For a great example, that's Drops of Jupiter by Train. Everybody thinks that song's about you know a, a lover or whatever. It's about his mom dying. And uh, that's when you, once you realize that, you listen to the song in a whole new light. But most people don't know that. They just pull their own meaning from it. And that's totally fine and totally valid as well. 
I think, uh, and Chris Cornell, I think said something to that effect as well. He said, you know, somebody asked him, what did you mean when you wrote this? And he was like, what, what do you think I meant? Cause that's what really matters. I, I meant what I, I meant what I wrote in one way, but if you take it a different way, that's, that's totally valid as well. You know, I'm not, I don't, I don't even want to tell you necessarily what I meant sometimes just take whatever you need to take away from it. And that's more powerful than anything I could tell you, you know, <laughs> that I meant. <laughs> I mean, that's so. the beautiful thing about music. Like, like you said, you can interpret it any way you want because the way you interpret it in its first, you know, hearing you're, that's what's going to inspire you moving forward. And it's not necessarily yep. like, okay, I wrote this song because of this, but like, if you're taking it this way, as long as it's inspiring you and, and it's connecting with you on a certain level, go bananas. Like, yeah, if that inspires you that way, go ahead. How many of you know your songs? Like we mentioned, you know, when it comes to you know being in a certain setting, being inspired by certain people. Uh, what are you personally trying to get out of these tracks? Trying to inspire people. I just want people to think that you know, rock is rock is never going anywhere. You know, yeah. I want people to, to have their faith renewed in the rock genre, and they should they should have it renewed by a lot of other bands as well not just us, but we're going to throw our hat in the ring as well and see if we can't, you know, be a part of the movement and do our thing. But that's the biggest thing. And I want people to have a good time and, and, you know, we're coming out of the pandemic. So let's, let's see what happens. I think everybody's going to be chomping at the bit to get out there and, and really, you know, party it up. For you, you talk about um, wanting, you know, rock stars of the older generation to like almost, you know, like they don't have to, they're not entitled to, but, you know, to almost give guys like, the LA maybe, or any of these other up and coming bands, you know, that, that quote unquote push in order for, you know, the next generation of rockers to get their stuff out there, to keep the rock genre going at a capacity where it's almost bigger than it ever was. Cause you know, I feel like that's always the goal that you got to strive for um, in the industry. Who's, who's one or a couple of guys that you'd love to get a chance to play with on stage. If you ever had the opportunity anyone that you'd ever you know loved that they were influenced by that you could have an opportunity to like do a solo with as a guitarist or, or anything like that um i definitely like to play with train they're one of my favorite bands black crows um guns obviously they don't need me though they have slash so <laughs> uh you know any of those bands um but, you know, I don't know. I'd be down to do like, you know, a big jam. You see those at like Nam or something where there's like 10 guitar players on stage. That'd be fun. Or maybe not. I don't know. We'll see. But uh, I definitely like to get my band, you know, the LA maybe out there as a band, you know, not necessarily me guest soloing on something, but but the whole band, you know, out there playing our, our music, sharing our music with, with you know, everyone there. Uh, I have had the privilege of playing with Duff McKagan. So that was awesome. Nice. How did you yeah. set that up? Uh, I do a ton of work with his brother, Bruce, and um, it just, you know, naturally happened from there. But yes, yeah, so I know I know the McKagan family decently well, and um, I've worked with uh, worked with Duff before. Uh, and then Albie has the ACDC connection. So between between Duff and ACDC, we'll see. We'll see if we can't get out there on a on an opening slot or something for a couple shows. That'd be fun. There's your in networking yep. is giving man. Uh, Duff seems like the most upstanding human being, at least in the, in the rock and roll side of the industry. Yeah. Really yeah. nice. guy. And the show, the show we played was a big show for charity. Uh, Bruce put together like a, like an all-star band. I was not one of the stars obviously, but I was, I was the lead guitar player for the event. Uh, but it was Duff. It was Tommy DiCarlo. Who's the lead singer for Boston. It was uh, Gary Green. Who's the drummer and percussionist for Hootie and the Blowfish. And right. it was, um, 
uh, Parthenon Huxley, who works with the, the ELO guys. So uh, the four of them were kind of the all-stars. And then we, Bruce filled out, you know, keys and, and we had uh, Ben Hoyt on violin, who's a good friend of mine. And um, so I was, I was the, the lead guitar player for the thing. So they just picked, picked a bunch of songs and we played, you know, Knocking on Heaven's Door and, and a couple of ELO songs, a couple of this, a little bit of that. And uh, yeah, that was an amazing night. But what was fun about it was we got there, you know, call time was like 11 a.m. And then by the time we all left, it was like 11 p.m. So we spent 12 hours together mostly just hanging out in the green room talking and you know jamming and stuff so sitting on the couch next to duff playing an acoustic guitar and he's asking me to show him like these licks and i'm teaching him bruno mars songs and like we're just we're having a we're just having a blast hanging out i'm asking him questions you know i'm not trying to be that fanboy i'm not i'm not that kind of guy to begin with but uh you know just just chatting as equals we're not but that's how they want to be chatted to, I guess. <laughs> that's, so. that's how you would want to be chatted to as well, right? Like you said, like coming off as a fanboy, that's an immediate turnoff, I feel like, for most yeah, of Yeah, and I am i don't like that at all. I'm the kind of guy that if I see someone famous, more often than not, I'm not even going to go up to him. I'll just see him from afar and be like, oh, cool, I saw that guy. Uh, like I saw Elton John in Venice one time. We were walking by and his he and his entourage were shopping in a store and we all looked and we we're like, there's Elton John and we kept walking. So <laughs> it's not, you know, I'm not the guy that's going to be running up there oh my god your music changed my life and there's nothing wrong with the people that do that you know it, that's just not in my personality uh really 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 hate to feel like i'm being a bother or a burden or anything like that and i can pick up on if if i think you're feeling that <laughs> i pick up on that pretty quick so i try not to even put myself in that situation but with the duff thing it was different because we were there as equals we were playing on the same right. stage both had a role to do so it was a lot more open to just conversation you know he was telling me at the time he was recording his um he was just wrapping up his uh, his recent album, the the Americana one. So we were talking about you know the recording of that and all that stuff. So it was cool. Yeah, it was a really good time. You almost have to kind of be called, you know, mentally to be like, okay, like yes, famous person over there. I'm not going to talk to them. But it, like, if you had something to say, like I said, like if you had were called to say something, like oh, here's an opportunity to you know pick his brain about something. You, you almost have to already have it instilled in your brain. Be like, oh, if I ever saw this guy in person, I'd ask him this. As opposed to just seeing someone and being like, okay, I'm cool enough to realize that he probably doesn't want to be bothered right now. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And uh, you just don't want to be that uh, Jonah Hill from uh, from Forgetting Sarah Marshall. <laughs> he keeps going to Alda Snow trying to give him his mixtape. You don't want to be that. <laughs> so I mean, uh, there's so many guys out there that probably approach, um, whether it's any business, really, film music sports like people see someone and they're like here's my resume dude or here here's my track can yeah. you get some of my stuff oh, out so there here's, how here's, it works. The here's the problem with what you said me my it shouldn't be about you you know if you want if you want to get someone's attention make it about them everybody loves themselves that's who we love more than anyone else most of the right. time so if i want to get you know your attention i'm going to talk about all the great things i can do for you and then you know not what you can do for me. Why would you help me? Who am I? Like, why do I deserve your help? So that's something to uh, to keep in mind as well. I mean, it's hard building those relationships. A lot of people really don't understand that. It's like you said, like, it's about here. Can you take a look at my stuff or can you do this for me? Where it's more about, you know, like I said before, networking is about giving. Like everybody loves themselves. Like if every, if you can help out everybody involved in the process, then like that's uh, that's, that's what's going to get you places. And also at the end of the day, your stuff's got to be good. Uh, I, I'm sure also, you realize that. the best way to get someone's attention is to stand out. So someone like Duff probably gets approached by, I mean, 
conservative estimate, he probably meets one to 3,000 people a month. <laughs> like, I mean, that's it could be a lot more than that if he's on the road or something. But, um, you know, everywhere he goes, he's constantly getting stopped. So you're not standing out by stopping him and telling him that Paradise City changed your life, sign my shirt. Like, he, he's done that probably 10 times that day already. You're one of the crowd at that point. Um, you know, so there's other ways. You got to think about, you know, think about others. Think about what they're going through and what they might be thinking and, and how they might want to be approached. For example, a lot of a lot of these people, the last thing they want to talk about is work. Like, I mean, I could talk about music and guitar all day, but but if I'm just hanging with my friends, like I don't really necessarily want to be talking the, the ins and outs of rock and roll. Like I want to be talking about, you know, this new band we found that's not rock at all. I want to be, you know, after after we play the rock show, like what do I want to hear? I'm not putting on Guns N' Roses. I'm putting on John Mayer. You know, I'm putting on something chill, putting on the opposite. So, uh, you know, you just got to think about where people might be coming from, how much of something they might be getting already. Do they really need more of that? You know, just those little things. I mean, it's almost like people specifically have an idea for someone. Like if you meet a Duff McKagan or a slashing person, you just think like, oh, they're Guns N' Roses. That's their identity. It's like they're more than that. They're a human being. They have so many other interests, dude. Like there's so many other things that you can talk to them about. Yeah, Duff, more than happy to talk about, you know, finance, sports, all that stuff. So, I mean. Uh, you know, boxing, he does a lot of boxing. There's, that's the way in. If you want to stand out, talk about their interests and not like, you know, not their job. Like, do you want to talk about your job when you come home from work? Probably not. Their job happens to be really cool, but that doesn't change the fact that it's still a job, you know, especially after 30, 40 years of doing it. Like we see it and we think it's the coolest glamorous thing in the world, but we don't know all the dirty details, all the the long nights, the flights, the no sleep, the this, the that, you know, all the stuff that we don't consider comes with it. Um, you know, even at any level, it doesn't matter. Everybody has problems, whether you're Elon Musk worth billions or you're broke in the street, everybody has problems. It's just, you know, different problems. Oh yeah. Different devils in a sense. I think that's what the rock always says. Uh, but when you guys get to that point, you know, like touring on the road, bus after bus, you know, plane ride after plane ride, like what's going to be your mentality for all of that? Cause again, like that, that's a very, gritty schedule you gotta have a lot of grit and a lot of tenacity in order to pull all of that stuff off and have everybody buy into it at the same time yeah uh you know it'll be it'll be it'll be interesting to see how we we shake it out it'll take everyone believing in the product believing in the goal to to make it happen you know hopefully we don't get on each other's nerves too much i think alone time's nice put on netflix put in your airpods sit quietly (laughs) oh yeah but you know i think if you've seen the videos i think you know I think you understand the kind of energy we're, we're going to be bringing to the stage. So uh, that's, that's really important to us too, to be able to really, really, you know, go nuts. Well, the new uh, singles and EPs are out sucker punch, Mr. Danger as well. The new record coming out March 26th. I have one last question for you before I let you go and take too much of your time here. Probably a question you hear, you know, at the beginning of interviews, but I missed it. And now that I'm thinking about it, it's because you talk about, you know, uh, the album, big Star Wars influence. And I see that in the logo on, you know, the the Mr. Danger artwork, as well as Sucker Punch. But why the name L.A. Maybe? What what inspired you to pick that name? So I was in um, the Chicago airport and I think I was eating or something. And I heard someone behind me say, uh, oh, she gave me the old L.A. Maybe. And and I and I thought, oh, that's a cool phrase. And uh, I knew what he meant, you know, the Los Angeles, the the typical, stereotypical, flaky, right, uh, right, right. Can't commit yes or no, just kind of sitting in limbo until something better comes along. 
And uh, I just really love that that name. So I I texted the the group chat and I said, let's let's be the LA Maybes with an S. And Faz, our drummer, said, let's just drop the S. So we dropped the S. And uh, and that was the band name for from then on. We had the band name before we knew what genre we were going to play. We were still talking. You know, we can all do a lot of different stuff. So we were like, do we want to be like a pop punk band? Do we want to be like a metal band? Do we want to be, you know, more pop rock or rock or whatever? And eventually we just decided to write, you know, what kind of felt good to us. And that ended up being this kind of classic rock vibe, which is uh, which is my favorite. So we kind of ended up at home base, I think. I mean, you guys obviously culminate together and all of your inspirations are going to come together to create that sound at the end of the day. And again, Sucker Punch out now, Mr. Danger out now, and then of course the new record coming out March 26th, 2021, Dallas Dwight. Thank you so much for being gracious enough to talk to me here for about you know an hour and 15 minutes here. Hopefully I didn't take too much of your time, but hopefully you guys again, see you guys out in Greensboro in a few weeks, your first gig since who knows when because yeah. everything going on and sure. uh again i wish you guys best of luck with the new record and hopefully you guys are staying safe during these uh insanely weird times we're in man absolutely jack thank you so much for having me uh super excited to be here and uh let's catch up soon i'll send you the album right now i'm so boned i forgot to get my girl tickets for the show tomorrow and now it's sold out it's her freaking birthday oh dude she's probably gonna break up with you she's definitely gonna break up with me should have used tick pick Wait, what'd you say? Tick pick. Look. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. What? There are no hidden fees. What'd you guys think I said? Oh, tick pick. I thought you said tick pick. No hidden fees. Download today. We've seen all the video call fails by now. The mute button mishaps, the cat cameos, people not realizing the camera's on when their pants are off. But none of this makes Fred feel any better about giving an entire sales pitch, mistakenly using a filter that turns him into an itsy-bitsy baby duck. How do I turn this thing off? It's too late, Fred. It's too late. When you realize it's better to do business in person, it matters where you stay. Welcome to the Hilton Garden Inn, Fred. The meeting room is right down the hall. Hilton. For the stay. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.